We're back in Second Peter. And we are looking at a passage where Peter has been dealing with false prophets and false teachers. And he has been pointing out how the judgment that God has inflicted upon people in the past should be a lesson for us today to realize that he's still serious about how people live and how Leadership is functioning in the church and outside the church as well for that matter. We're in Second Peter chapter 2, and the first, actually, the, I will I, I, I read all the first 10 verses. We won't do part of it, but we'll do all 10 verses. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Peter writes this, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not sleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, pressed by his sensual conduct of unprincipled men, or by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and despise authority, daring self-will, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Well, Peter has, as we started out the text, been dealing with false prophets, and then he's been pointing out how God's judgment has fallen in time past. We've talked about that. We talked about how we should learn lessons, what God has done in the past and how he has displayed his wrath and his anger, that that should be kind of a wake-up call to us. If he did this in the past to Sodom and Gomorrah, if he brought his flood upon the world of the ungodly, and that's what he thinks about that, that these ought to be lessons that we should learn because God has not changed. He doesn't change his, his opinion, doesn't change his standard. Um, he, he is merciful and gracious. He's long-suffering and patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but he does have a standard, and he will bring judgment. And so that's kind of the, the gist of the passage. The text that we are looking at, beginning in verse 9, is sort of the conclusion of this whole text that we're dealing with. Because if you remember when we started reading, he started out by pointing out if God or since, you could pronounce it since God did not, or if God did not spare the angels that sinned in verse 4, and then he goes on in the next verse, verse 5, and since God did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, preach of righteousness, and then verse 6, 
And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, etc., etc., verse 6, and if he rescued Lot, verse 7, oppressed by sensual conduct, then, our verse, the Lord knows how to reserve the godly for temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So you can see this is sort of a conclusion that we've been building up to this whole time that we've been looking at these, this example of these passages that the Lord is bringing judgment for us. With that. So let's look at it and just we'll, we won't take too much time because we're kind of near the end of the text. But he says that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. The idea of rescue there, uh, before we look at the temptation, has to do with delivering someone from temptation to deliver them out of or enable them to overcome it. The word temptation there, parismos, par par parismos refers to a temptation. That's an interesting word. Let me just take a moment with that. That's an interesting word that actually can have two different meanings. Uh, it can mean a test or it can mean a temptation, uh, depending on the purpose behind it and who's bringing the test or the trial. Um, it can mean it, it has to do with a trial or temptation or putting to the test. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's used by, in the New Testament, several passages. The one of my favorite passages, and you can take your Bibles and turn it over to after the book of Hebrews is the book of James chapter 1. Look at James chapter 1, passage that I know you're familiar with. And James uses that word at the beginning of his, of his verse 2. Uh, James writes, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. That word there, trials, is this word, uh, and it could be, you could translate it either way, honestly. You could translate it, consider my joy when you encounter various trials, that these are trials that are coming upon you to try you, to, to uh, test your strength and to see how you are able to strong, be strong in the face of temptation and the face of difficulties. Or you can translate that, consider it uh, all joy, my brother, when you encounter various temptations. The temptations come, and we have both of those. We have trials in life, and we have temptations. Trials in life come usually from the Lord. Uh, they are trials that the Lord sends that we don't like, but they come and they try us, and hopefully we can pass those and we can grow and mature. That's what James says here, knowing that this testing of your faith produces endurance. Notice that the trial can produce that growth and that maturity. But there are also times when with temptations. And when Satan tempts us, he's not tempting us to make us grow. He's tempting us to make us stumble, to make us sin, to cause us to fall, to give a bad witness or bad testimony. But it's the same word. That's what I want you to see. It's the same word that's used there. Let's go back to that book of James for a second and just read that verse because it's a good verse and it's relevant to us. Knowing that the testing or the trying of your faith produces, that, that word produces there in that text means that the trial or the test has a product. It's not just that it happens, it happens through the trial, it happens through the test. If the test stretches us, the test challenges us, and it causes us to, um, to grow. Um, 
sometimes trials come our way and things that, that we're really concerned about just devastate us and we just we are brokenhearted. We don't know how to deal with that. I have that situation sometimes with my two sisters because I, I love them very much. I'm concerned for them. And you just really don't know how to deal with that and you're just burdened for them. Well, that burden has an effect on me. And one of the things it does is it drives me to prayer. Because I can't have it, I can't open the hearts of people. I can't manipulate their lives. I can't, I mean, I can put a track, I can go to the house or I can send a track in the mail or something like that. But after a while, people get tired of those things. But God, God, if we pray to the Lord and seek him, he can work in the hearts of the people. You see what I'm saying? And so the trials a lot of times like that, that come to us, that cause us anxiety and difficulties. Trials for people, like we're talking about uh, Tony, who's sick. Those kind of trials that come uh, create within us an urgency to pray. And that's a good thing. And yeah, it takes time. And, and yes, we would rather not have to have that urgency. We would rather think that we're going smooth. And we'd rather be able to go out and go to a movie or go to a restaurant, something easy like that. But the trial and the burden and the, the, the uh, struggle which causes us to go to our knees and pray is, in fact, a good thing for our growth. You see what I'm saying? In our walk, and so it's a good thing. And so God knows; He knows what He's doing when He when He allows that. Um, so the trial, He says, the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness, ability to stay in there. There is um, a, a doctrinal teaching that I espouse to called the perseverance of the saints. My son asked me that one Sunday morning. I didn't know what he was talking about. But perseverance of the saints. What does it mean? It means that if you're a genuine believer, you will persevere to the very end. You won't bail out. You may backslide, you may do some other things, but you will persevere to the end. Well, we all have ability to make decisions and to do things. How is it that God can guarantee that we're going to endure to the end? Well, he guarantees it because he knows what he's doing. He knows how to send whatever's necessary our way to produce that endurance. You see what I'm saying? That maturity. He loves us that much. We were talking this morning in Sunday school about him being the shepherd. As a shepherd, he knows what we need. He knows what we need to eat. He knows where we need to rest. Uh, he knows what when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death. He knows the discipline that we need and the, the encouragement that we need and whatever to cause us not to quit but to keep going. And so um, he's good at that. And the trials that come our way, this test or this trial, either one, produces endurance. He says here in this passage, James says, that endurance have its, its result. That, that endurance means that you stay under the trial. The trial is what produces that endurance. The trial is producing that endurance. Let endurance, let that staying under the trial that's producing that endurance, let that have its result. And it calls in the text perfect result or maturing result for your growth. Let, let that endurance produce that uh, perfect, that, that result, that maturing result, so that you can be complete <coughs> and lacking nothing. That's nice. That's good. Now, I don't know how serious you are about your Christian growth. I think, I think you're pretty serious. But I can tell you what, God is more serious than you are about it. And he takes it a lot more serious than I do. 
And he knows how to put me through the proper curriculum and the proper trials and the proper hardships to knock me down, to get my attention, and to drive me on my knees so that I will begin to endure and to grow and to mature and become more and more like Jesus. He knows how to do that. And since we belong to him, and since he's the shepherd, and we're the sheep, he's committed to doing that in our lives. And so this trial that we're talking about is not a bad thing, even though we don't like it. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And um, to be honest, when we have the trial, we pray, Lord, get rid of the trial. I don't want the trial. Get rid of the trial. He's not going to do it because the trial is good. It's good for us. It helps us to grow. Now, sometimes people say, well, I would rather just forget Christianity and live my own life and do my own thing. But if you belong to the Lord, he's going to work in your life. He's going to work and chip away at you. We were talking this morning about the, the disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, and the disciples, how many times the Lord had to go back to them. and uh, But he did it. And he prayed for Peter when Peter had said he wouldn't deny him. The Lord said he would. And then the Lord told Peter, he said, Peter, I've prayed for you. Not that you would be a, that you would avoid this, but after it's over, you would be converted, that you would strengthen your brother. You would use, this would be something productive in your life to help you be useful to me, to others. And then later on, yes, Peter, after he came back from fishing, he said, Peter, do you really love me? Ask him how many times? Three times. How many times did Peter deny? Three. So he's he's just he's working with Peter's kind of stubborn. I know what it's like to be stubborn, and he's kind of stubborn. He's he's hard headed, and the Lord is just working with Peter, meeting him where he is, working his life to help him become an instrument that he can use effectively. Now Peter's writing here, and he's telling us about these trials and things that uh, that we go through, and so these things are these things are necessary. Now, in verse 5 in that passage of James, since we're in that, we ought to look at it because even though it doesn't, not, doesn't deliberately necessarily talk about the trial, it talks about the results of the trial. So let's look at it. Verse 5 says, in the middle of the trial, when you're going through these difficulties and you're being knocked down and battered around and you're having these things happen to you and you're kind of bleeding in your spiritual quiet time and kind of pouting before the Lord because he's letting this happen to you, what do you need? You need to know what he's doing. You need to know, you have a need to have a clear idea of what he's doing. So he says in verse 5, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask for God. That's not too hard. And I've had that. I've, I've had that happen to me. I had it happen with Elaine and I was out in California. We had some things like that. And we were asking, we were asking the Lord what he's doing. And I got out of my knees beside the bed. I prayed and I asked the Lord what, what he's doing. And he showed me. I did kind of back off from that. And, and they had to work for me a little bit longer than normal, than, than normal people. But uh, anyway, he says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God, who gives to all <laughs> sparingly. No, generously. Sorry. He gives to all generously. He gives you the ability to know what he's doing. He gives you the understanding to know what he's doing. And uh, he does it. And he does it without reproach. He doesn't, you know, if anybody of all the apostles should experienced the reproach and the correction of the Lord. If anybody was good at putting his foot in his mouth, it's Peter. And yet, the Lord is saying here that if you ask wisdom, ask 
I'm not going to reproach you. I'm not going to belittle you. I'm not going to poke fun at you and say, well, that's a stupid question. You ought to know that by now, what, what I'm doing. He gives it to you. He helps you to understand it. He gives it without reproach. And so he says, if you lack wisdom, uh, let her ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts, like the surf of the sea, driven by and tossed by the wind, or if the man, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded and unstable man in his way. So when God begins to show you these things, and then, you know, after the, you, you get these things and you start to grow about it, then all of a sudden you say, you know what, I don't really, I don't like that. I, I think maybe I was wrong about that. I don't, do I have to really do that? You might start backing off and kind of double thinking it. That, that's get you in trouble. If the Lord shows you something, just be be careful, but be sure. Don't don't Lane used to say, and I like this, she said, Don't don't doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. I think that's a good thing. So then he says in down in verse 12, where that word trial is used again, he said, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. There's that word, perseveres under temptation, or perseveres under trial. Blessed is the man who does that. But once he has been approved, that's interesting. Approved means that he's received a kind of a smile from heaven that God is saying, you, you're, you're doing well, you're growing. Once he's been reproved, he will receive, we talked this morning about crying, crowns, you will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has, you like the next word in there? Promised. Once you've been approved, go through the trial, you'll receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. We are those who love him. We are the believers. We are those who love God and call upon his purpose. So here is this, this place where this word uh, temptation is used. Let me give you a couple more verses. Um, Jesus experienced temptation and trials. Uh, it's used in several passages, but Luke 4.13 is one where it says the devil had finished every trial or every temptation. He, let, he left him one more opportune time. That's the temptation of the wilderness. That word is used there, one of those passages there. Um, another good verse is found in uh, Luke 8. This is this is uh, this this is a good passage. Luke 8, verse 10. The, the passage says, And he, that is the Lord, and he said, To you it is granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now he's talking about those the disciples. He's giving them a parable of this sower who went up to sow. And uh, he's saying that the people, a lot of people didn't understand it. And the disciples came and it was one who they wanted explanation for that parable. And Jesus is saying, first of all, Jesus is saying, well, it's not, not I'm not explaining it to everybody. These are mysteries. He calls them mysteries of the kingdom. Kind of a mysterious thing. Mysteries of the kingdom. But it's for you, not the masses. So he says, um, the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. So he has this farmer going out to sow, and that is a picture of someone going out and, sow, and sowing seed, which is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road, that's the first group, are those who have heard, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. So that, and, and we see that. That happens a lot. People, the gospel is sown, 
people hear it, sing it with Christmas carols, stuff like that, but it doesn't, it's not productive. It falls on hard hearts, it bounces off, and the devil comes and takes it away. That's the first illustration. The second one, he said, those in rocky soil are those who, when they hear and receive the word with joy. I've seen that. People who receive it with joy, but later fall away. Receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time, here's the word we're talking about, temptation, trial. In time of temptation or trial, they fall away. So the second one is the group that receives it, receives the gospel. They embrace it. They're excited about it. But then all of a sudden, some trials happen, or some difficulty happens, or the job goes down. We have a, a family in the church that we are praying for. We pray for a Wednesday night who the husband lost his job. That's a pretty big thing. That's a that's a that's a very 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 serious trial, especially if they're building a new house down in South Carolina. And so this this um, loss of a job, as bad as it is, probably is a, is a, is used of the Lord to turn people's hearts around. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's going to be something I believe God's going to be using production because I've been praying people for some time. And so here is a, a trial. People receive the gospel with joy. But in times of, of temptation or trial, they fall away. That's the second illustration. The third illustration, verse 14, the seed which fell among thorns. These are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. This is the one that I identify with the most, because I know what it's like to love the world. I know what it's like to see the joys and pleasures, and you buy a new car or a new more or something, and enjoy the the, the uh, even if it is a super, and uh, you, you enjoy those things, and it's easy to become satisfied with it, at least it is for me, and to neglect the Lord and to ne neglect our walk, my walk with Him. You understand that, and uh, I can identify with that. And so, He doesn't say that you're not saved, He says you're not bringing in fruit to maturity, you're just you're kind of stopping and kind of waning. And you know, we are, we are emotional creatures, and uh. It's a good thing. I'm, I'm doing, doing a series on worship with John MacArthur that we're getting ready for the men's retreat. And that's, a, that's such a powerful, powerful series because God has created us to be worshipers and uh, that if we're not real worshipers, it's probably we're not real believers. Our hearts ought to really be humble before and in love with the Savior and that we should be impressed with Him and know about Him and worship Him and love Him. And that, that because God has created us as emotional beings, it ought to overflow. You understand? Overflow in our lives. And so here's, here's this passage here. The last of the, the seed, it says, um, but the seed that fell on good soil, these are the ones that have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with endurance. Perseverance. They persevere, they endure. And uh, the trials is used here as one of the indications that causes people to all the way in the faith. Trials come, and uh, so and that does happen. Trials come, and they can make us grow, and mature, or they can come and make us fall away. You understand? Uh, if we're not genuine believers, a lot of times it'll come and knock us out of the saddle, and and we'll say, "This is enough for me. I'm not going to put up with this and be gone." But if we're real believers and we know the Lord, God is going to see to it that the trial produces the growth and the maturity in our life that is necessary. So that's, that's, that's important. Um, maybe one more passage to deal with. I got several here, but 
we'll run out of time. First Corinthians 10, 13 was a passage that you know real well. And um, I, I've quoted that to friends of mine. I have a friend of mine who is um, who has some uh, emotional difficulties. And uh, they think they're the only person in the world with these difficulties. Everything, the world seems to be colliding in around them. And they have no, um, everything throughout the day seems to go against them. And everything seems to fall apart with them. And they, they, they do have a lot to be thankful for, but they, don't, they can't see that. You understand what I mean? It's, it's just in the world and it's complain, complain. And uh, so, but the thing is that they think this is that they're the only person that, that no, none of their friends have any problems. Nobody else has this kind of problem. They do. But this verse here, 1 Corinthians 10 13 says, There's no temptation or trial. It's the same word, no temptation or trial that's overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful. God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will with the temptation, as that word again is used twice in this verse, with the trial or the temptation, provide a way of escape so that you will be able not to avoid it, but to endure it, to go through it. God is faithful to do that. And these are not unique. This is not unique. You're not the only person in the world to go through this. All of us go through these in one way or another. These kind of trials, these kind of difficulties, we all have it. And um, that's, that's the universal. When we have a Bible study here, that's going to be a universal reality. Everybody that comes to that study is going to be having a difficulty uh, in one area or another. I've been working with this young man, Adam, who's now down in Florida. just went down to get him and dropped the Bible and put a note in there, told him to read it and ask questions. Text and, so and uh, his dad came over. I was, I was, I was out there yes, before you came. And Rick was there. No, you weren't there, Rick. No, I forget it. I was out there in the yard, and I was, it was my my neighbor. Um, uh, I think it was an Amish guy. Anyway, he was over there, and and uh, Adam's dad Brent was there. Phil Phil Troy, Adam's Brent was there, and he came over after I gave him the Bible, and he came over and gave me a hug. And he he almost had tears in his eyes. He was really appreciative of my caring for him. But what I wanted to tell Adam was, and I didn't get a chance to, is that. The church is a place, it's not a place where everybody here has all of their maturity together and we bring one person in like him and sit him down there and then we just point out all these things, he's going through detox, all these things that are wrong about him. We are all suffering from some kind of addiction, some kind of sinful activity, something that, you understand what I'm saying? We all have it. And so... It's good that we come together and we encourage one another and we help one another and we support one another because the hospital is not a place where the doctors get together and have coffee and fellowship. It's a place where the patients come to get well, to be healed. And that's kind of what this is like a hospital where we, people come in and we pray for them and work with them and help them. See what I'm saying? And so that's, that's part of this idea of the temptation and the trials. We go through these trials, we have these temptations. And so, the, the verse that we're looking at talks about these trials. This can be trial or temptation. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly uh, from temptation and to keep or, or, or actually the, probably the best way to translate that is imprison. To imprison the unrighteous under punishment for the day of, of, of judgment. 
The Lord knows how to rescue the guy. And by the way, one other thing about rescuing, it's not saying, I knew, I remember my grandmother telling me, my, my grandfather was a preacher. And I remember my grandmother telling me that there was a young man in his church, or man he worked with in his church, that had struggled with alcohol. And uh, he was on the wagon. He had gone for several weeks without a drink or something. But he saw him on a Saturday night in town. He was over there, and several of his old buddies were over there talking with him. And he saw him, and they were trying to get him to go up and get a beer or something. And finally, grandmother said, Paul called him and said, Brad, come in. Brad stopped and left him over there, and he came up. Thank you so much, Mr. Thank you so much. Because they were really working out about ready to get him. So he kind of called him away and, and sort of broke him away from that, that pressure point. You see what I'm saying? And kind of encouraged him in that area. And that's sort of what that, that's kind of what we, we want to be able to do here. We we uh, rescue we rescue people, but not just at the point of temptation, it's that we God helps us to be develop a strength and a Temptation appeals to our heart and our life. God makes our heart and our life stronger so that less and less are we cons- being consumed by these temptations and less and less are we being given into these things. And more and more are we uh, able to resist. You see what I'm saying? So it's a progression in our growth, progression in our lives. And so he knows how to rescue us, but he knows how to, to enable us to walk away from temptation more effectively as we get older, as we mature. You know what I'm saying? And that we make that we make that progress. So he knows how to rescue us from temptation and also to keep or imprison the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. I guess maybe one verse I'll read uh, relating to the judgment of God. I'll read in Romans chapter two, which is a good verse. Um Anything in Romans is good. Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Paul writes, talking about reserving the unrighteous for punishment. Uh, Therefore, you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment, or in that you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice, you who judge practice the same things. And we know that. Here it is, the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God. There it is again. You escape that. You pass judgment. You do what you practice. You do what you condemn in others. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance? And patience. By the way, isn't good? Isn't good that God is that kind of God? That He is a God of kindness. He is a kind God. He is tolerant. He is patient. And you don't know and understand that the kindness of God leads you to repentance, not to pass judgment on others, but that you and your sin should repent. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart. You are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. There's coming a day when there is going to be a day of wrath and there's going to be judgment of God. It's going to come. God is holy and uh, he is a very merciful and gracious God. And he has, he not only has died in our place, died to pay for our sin, 
but he has bothered to work with us, to give us his word and to disciple us and to, like a shepherd working with sheep and guiding us here and there and teaching us and putting trials in our lives. And uh, we work, Hebrews says that, that uh, his people are people of whom the world is not worthy. And I think what he says is not because we're better than that, but because we, we do what we can to witness. We should try to witness and, and tell other people and most people just uh, don't want to have anything to do with it. They walk away. They're stubborn, 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 stubborn. And uh, I don't want to give them reason to be stubborn, but sometimes people are that way. And when you turn your back on Calvary, you've turned your back on something that's very, very significant. And so there is a judgment that, that God holds in, in store for them. He says he will render to every person according to his deeds. This is important. And by the way, again, Here's, I, I just want to say this. There is a sense in which all of our sins are paid for on the cross. And that we will be, we stand in Christ, we are justified by faith and not by works of the law. And that, that, that we will never have to, we cannot work, our deeds are not an issue insofar as being justified before God. But at the same time, uh, there is a sense also in which God looks in our life, and our life needs to confirm what we say. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, if, if a person says he's a believer, but his life doesn't show it, then you have reason to doubt that. And so this verse is talking about the fact that God is going to judge by deeds, and uh, we can say, well, that doesn't apply to me, but it does apply to you, and it does apply to me. And he says that here in verse 7, those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Now, you can't, you can't work your way to get eternal life. That's what the rich young rule came to the Lord about and said, what do I need to do? I have eternal life. Jesus told him to keep the commandments, some of these things, and he said, I've done these. So we'll go say what you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. Well, he wouldn't do that because he was a slave to his wealth, and his wealth was was in was, um, dominating his life. He just would not give that up. And uh, so here is this this uh, passage here that's saying you've got to seek for immortality and eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there's wrath and indignation. These will be. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also to the Greek or Gentile. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good. So we got those who do evil, those who do good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no partiality with God on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secret of men through Christ Jesus. So what he's saying there is God will be able to judge us by our deeds. That if we are real, our deeds will show it. In fact, it's in the Revelation, and I'm not going to do that. Now, it's in the Revelation at the end of the book. The books are open, and men are judged by the deeds found in the book. And then, if anyone's name was not written in the town of the Lamb's Book of Life, his cast in hell. But the thing is that if you're if your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, your name will be also be shown to display the deeds that are fitting of a believer. You see what I'm saying? It's a, it's, a, it's a difficult thing because it looks like we're, we're preaching around our elbow, so to speak. But it's not. It's that if we're real, if we're genuine, 
our lives are going to destroy. And that will stand the test of God's judging insofar as deeds are concerned. That our lives will confirm it. It will be real. Jesus said many times, you give a cup, a cup of cold water in my name, you won't lose your reward. You know, these kind of things. That those that are real, those that belong to him, not just believe, but confirm it with their life and their actions. And that's important for all of us. The church has, I don't want to be critical, but the church has people in it. I don't mean, I'm not just talking about blue. I'm talking about the church in general has a lot of people in it who profess to be Christians on Sunday morning, but you wouldn't know it the rest of the week. You understand what I'm saying? I've done that too. And uh, I, I just don't like that. I want my life to confirm that I love the Savior, and it will if it's genuine. You see what I'm saying? That's one of the reasons I think why um, a lot of times uh, some of the worst kids are children of pastors or missionaries. It's, it's not because the pastors and the, and the missionaries are not genuine. It's because that they can see hypocrisy in them at other times. And hypocrisy is a very strong um, deterrent to faith. If you see that in somebody that's, that's preaching, that's standing up like I'm standing up and preaching a big message, but in home, secret, and we all have secret lives, but home and secret where nobody else but the time is there and they see that, um, it's hard to overcome that. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's, uh, it's good to recognize, I think, that, that we want to be real, we want to be genuine. This passage, and I'm not going to read others, but this passage talks about the judgment of God and the revelation of God. Um, so let me go read it through now and we'll get to the end of it. It says, the Lord knows how to reserve the godly uh, from temptation and to imprison the unrighteous, um, unrighteous those who fall short of righteousness under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh. Now, if you remember, and I, I'm not going to go into reading too much back into this, but those that he's talking about, those who indulge the flesh, we're talking about angels that sin, lest they left their first estate. Those are those that indulge the flesh. That's the sin. And that it's, it's a big one today. It is the, uh, one of the things about delivering sin, uh, being delivered from temptation, pornography is a major, major attraction for, for people. And it's so easily available on the internet. And it'll lock you in. I'm, it'll kill you. No time. So you need to leave it alone and stay with it. Stay away from it because it'll destroy your life. It'll, it'll eat you alive. It'll consume you. It's like, again, there's nothing you can do about it. Just eat you alive. So you got to leave it alone. Stay away from it. Avoid it completely like a plague because it's what it is. Um, he knows how to, um, to, to Knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, to keep the unrighteous or to imprison the unrighteous under punishment for the day, day of judgment. Um, he holds the guilty, those that are sinful, that are wicked. They are not, the judgment is not going to sleep. He says that earlier, the judgment is not sleeping. The day is coming. Uh, there will be judgment coming. And while you are suffering, and Peter wrote to those in the previous book, this is the same thing group of people who are going through suffering and trials and difficulties, and they are suffering from the hands of a lot of harsh uh, Roman oppression. He said, God knows how to judge them and reserve them for judgment, and he will. You be faithful 
um, especially those who indulge the flesh, like the sin of those, those angels, and have corrupt desires, they despise authority. That's, a, that's one of the sins of the false teachers. Uh, the false teachers were those that denied the master who bought them, denied his lordship. That's exactly what that passage is referring to, in denying his authority. Um, and so here he is, the final statement is, after all this judgment has taken place, after all these examples of God pouring out his wrath on the angels, how he delivered some, how he brought others to just, just, justice, uh, Peter just tells us here that God knows how to bring this judgment in. He knows how to deliver us from tests and trials. And he knows how to bring the, the uh, godly under, the unrighteous under judgment for the day that he's going to judge. And he is going to do that. Um, we're praying for mercy for our country. We, I love my country very much. And I pray that God will send a revival that will turn the hearts of the people around. Uh, there's no hope for the country People are just wicked, just like they were before the flood. And so I'm praying that I'll do that, send a major revival, grant repentance to many, many people. I've actually prayed for the Lord to really reach some of the most um, godless rebels in our society. And I don't, and I don't, I don't mean to say that by that that uh, the conservatives are okay. The conservatives are lost, just like the liberals are. But I've just been praying that God would have mercy. And some of these people that are really wicked, really in strong, uh, heavy rebellion against the law, against God, God would have mercy on them. Peace and turn them around. That would be a good thing. You would see a real turning around. But anyway, um, that's all we have. That I'm going to close the passage. I want to close the prayer. Then you will lead us. Who you will lead us? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this example that uh, is sort of a difficult passage to close with because it's just a concluding conclusion, but it does talk about the fact that you work with people who are under trial and difficulties and that you have reserved uh, and are keeping in prison, if you will, the guilty, the unrighteous for the day of judgment. We know you do that. There are people that I love, that I care for, that are headed for that judgment. I pray that you'll help me to be faithful, pray first, and then to be a witness to those that I love and care for because it's really, really important. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you for this time, for your patience, for your love. Thank you that you are the kind of God that you are, that even now, here tonight, you are showing us your mercy and showing us your hand of uh, how you work in our lives and how you display your goodness to us and how you work with us through trials and difficulties. Uh, thank you for showing us that. Thank you for helping us understand that. And thank you for loving us and being our shepherd. Ask your blessing upon us this week. Pray for the, this. We've got a lot of things going on this week, but you help us to get things done that need to be done that will honor you. And we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. <laughs>